So um, last year, you know about the pandemic? You remember that? Yeah, boom. So uh, like so many of you guys, I decided I was going to start a new hobby. How, did you guys start some new hobbies just to get out of the house to just not go crazy? Yeah. Yep. So the hobby that I decided that I was going to start was mountain biking. Have you been mountain biking? It's basically a really expensive way to die, okay? It was so scary the first time I went, but my dad kept talking me into it, and so my husband and I were like, oh, fi okay, finally. We'll just try it out. We'll try out this new hobby. We've got all the time in the world. The world's ending anyways. Let's just give it a try, okay? And so we get a bike, and we start going, and I don't know if you guys have been on a mountain bike trail, but they don't take the rocks off the trail. They, they leave them in the trail, and they don't flatten it for you at all. Like, you go up steep inclines the entire time. And then to make it a little bit even more sketchier, there's, like, drop-offs on either side of the trail. No big deal. And many of those trails go two ways. It is absolutely terrifying, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I loved every single moment of it. It was so exhilarating. It was so much fun. And I got so, so into it. But I was terrible. You guys, I couldn't stay on my bike to save my life. I went off the trail countless amount of times. I almost hurt myself so many times. I swear Jesus had his angels around me saying, okay, you're being stupid. I'm going to help you. Okay? But by the end of the mountain bike season, I finally felt comfortable to do one of the harder trails in Grand Junction. And this trail is called Pedicus. Dude, let me tell you what, this thing is a monster. And my dad said, Madeline, you are not ready. You are not ready. And for months he said that. And then finally he's like, okay, I think it's time. Now, if you've never been on this trail before, it is seriously intense. It's super steep incline the entire time. Super steep drop-offs on either side where if you mess up one tiny thing, technically, you will roll down a hill. Tons of rocks, tons of ledges. It is absolutely intense. And so I make it to this trail and I'm hyping myself up. You ever give yourself a pep talk? Like, okay, Madeline, you can do this. You can do this. You are a strong, independent woman and you are going to prove to yourself and your father that you <laughs> can do this trail. And so I start, and you guys, I am not exaggerating when I tell you I am exhausted 30 seconds into the trail. 30 seconds in, my heart is pounding, my lungs are aching, my legs feel as if they are going to come off of my body, and I am 30 seconds in. I have miles left to go, miles. But I say, I can do this, I can do this, I can do it. And so I keep pedaling, one pedal after the other, after the other, countless people pass me, I don't care. And I finally, after what feels like hours, make it to the top of the hill. And I was sad. You think in that moment I would be exhilarated, but in that moment I was so disappointed with myself. Why did I struggle that bad? Am I really that out of shape that it kicked my butt that bad? And so I start looking at my bike because I dropped it so many times, trying to see if I had broken anything on the bike. And I realized in that moment that that entire trail I was going up a hill in the hardest gear possible. 
the hardest gear possible. Now, in case you don't know this, mountain bikes have easier gears for when you're going uphill, and then they have harder gears for when you are going downhill. I was in the gear that was made for going downhill. Talk about a rookie mistake, okay? This made it a billion times harder than it had to be, and it made sense in my mind. That's why I struggled so badly. I was fighting against my bike that entire time. Something that should have been helping me. Instead, I was having to fight against it. I was frustrated, I was angry, and I was exhausted because I was facing something that I didn't even realize I was there. I was fighting it the entire time and I didn't even realize it. And while many of you may have never been on a mountain bike before, we all have this in common and that every single day is a fight against an unseen enemy. Every single day is a battle against a person who hates your guts, who wants to make you frustrated and exhausted, but also wants you to have no idea that he's the one behind it. The enemy is unseen and every single day is a battle against him. See, one of the most believed lies that Satan tries to do is convince us that he doesn't exist, that he doesn't even exist at all, that he really isn't a threat to you or to anybody. But come on, if you believe in God, do you believe in God? Yeah. yeah. If you believe in God, then you, ha you can't deny that the fact that there is an enemy out there. There's an adversary, there's an accuser or a deceiver or a brutal enemy that wants nothing more than the opposite of what God wants for your life. 1 Peter 5 says this, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The apostle John goes on to say that Satan's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There is an enemy out there for sure. But that isn't the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Stealing, killing, and destroying, that may be the devil's strategy. But God's purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. There absolutely is a battle unseen. There are times when we're fighting against something that we can't, we can't see. And in Ephesians 6, it tells us this. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That sounds like a science fiction, like, <laughs> movie, right? The spiritual realm around you. That's what it makes it sound like. And it's true. That's exactly that's what it is. There is a spiritual realm around us. There is, but fear not, because this is what Jesus said about that whole thing in Luke 10. He says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing, everybody say nothing. nothing, nothing shall hurt you. That is a promise from the creator of the universe, right? See, when Jesus says that he's given you authority over the enemy, it should get your heart pumping a little bit. It should. And though we're in a fight, we're not alone. We're not. And we are not too weak to see victory. Now, the enemy has a lot of different attacks, and for each of us, it's a little bit different. And some attacks affect some of us a little bit more than they would affect other people. But it's important to know that no matter what the attack is, the fight is still the same. See, Jesus told his followers that they may ask for anything in his name. John 14, it says, you can ask for anything. Everybody say anything. anything. In my name, and I will do it. It says right there. And then in Philippians 2, it says this about Jesus' name. We actually sang about this earlier. 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. All right, so in heaven, every knee bows in the name of Jesus. On the earth, every knee bows in the name of Jesus. And under the earth. Who's under the earth? The devil. The devil. That's right. That's right. But he, he still has to bow at the name of Jesus. He still has to bow at the name of Jesus. See, every enemy, everything bows at the name of Jesus. We have the power to silence the enemy, silence him and his attacks. And we have that power, not by our power at work, but by God working within us to crush the enemy. Now, there's a lot of different attacks out there, remember, but all of the fight is still the same. And we have to understand that we're always best at war when we're not devil-focused. You're best at war when we are focused on God, when you're pursuing God, a lot like we're doing right now, a lot like you're, you're, you're feeling during worship tonight. Like we are focused on him, and that is when we are best at war, when we're best at punching the devil, kicking the Satan. That's the truth. Now, one of the attacks that we felt led, that God, we felt like God put on our hearts to talk about that Satan tries to do against us is this attack of rejection. And that's one thing that he does come against us. With. Yeah, that's right. Now, I'm going to put a picture of me up of my first day of kindergarten right there. What a cute little gal. I know. I know. Even back then, she was on pink team. You guys are right. Now, I am so sure that your mothers each have pictures of you that are just like this. I'm sure they do. I would love to see them if you ever wanted to bring them to me. But there are so many things that if I could, I would tell this little girl right here. I would tell her that she is wearing that outfit, okay? And her fashion sense is on point, okay? No matter what anyone says. I would tell her also that she's not dumb, she's just dyslexic, okay? Yeah, that was the thing. Um, I would tell her it's not pronounced disposable thumbs, but opposable thumbs. That would have saved me a lot of embarrassment later on. And I would have told her back then that she should go easy on her sister because she was going through way more than she could have ever known. I would tell her that she has found the Anakin to her Padme because, well, back then she hadn't seen the third movie yet, so, because um, it got a little sketchy there. Um, yeah, and I would also tell her that being grown up isn't all that it's cracked up to be and that she should enjoy being a child while it lasted. I would tell her that many of her teachers are not going to like her if she keeps leading rebellions every time something unfair happens in the classroom, okay? <laughs> And lastly, I would tell this little girl right here that whenever people treated her badly, whenever they made her feel like she wasn't special, like she wasn't enough, like she wasn't beautiful, that she should keep her, held high, her head held high. And then when others treat her otherwise, it just means they can't handle her, not necessarily that there's anything wrong with her. And so I wonder in this room tonight, if you could go back and you could tell your younger self something, what would it be? Would you say something similar to what I just said, or would you say something completely different? Would you try to give yourself some advice, or just let yourself figure it out eventually? Would you warn yourself about different people or events, or would you just give them a huge hug and say, you know what, good luck, because puberty's going to screw it all up anyway, okay? <laughs> it's going to screw it all up. Now, while I don't know many of your guys' stories in this room tonight, what you've been through, what you've experienced, I think that we all have something in common. And that is that people haven't treated us the way that we deserve. 
People have treated us over and over and over again the wrong way. No matter how right we are, no matter how amazing we are, they don't treat us the way that they should. And this starts at a very young age many times, and it comes from people who usually you allow in your life that you trust, that you love, maybe a sibling, a neighbor, maybe a teacher, a coach, a friend, a parent, or maybe someone you just don't even know at all. But I would bet that at this very young age, if you could go back, if you could tell your younger self something that we would all want to say, that they should ignore what those people say to you that they should choose to not believe them and rather than allow those words to take root and impact you for the rest of your life, that they should just brush it off. I think all of us would go back and say that to themselves if they could because at a very young age, all the way up until the day we die, we don't get treated the way that we should. And sometimes we can act like it's no big deal. We can act like words don't hurt us and we're bigger than them and we can brush them off so easily. But in reality... Most of the time, when people tell us things, we believe it. When they say that we're ugly or we're not good looking, we take their word for it. When people tell us that we aren't enough, we absolutely take it as God's truth. When people reject us by telling us that we're too dumb, too fat, too short, too annoying, too young, we believe it. Instead of sticking up for ourselves and choosing to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, we take those harmful words and we internalize them and we believe them to be the truth. But what if I were to tell you that those words, that those things that people have said to you your entire life are a planned strategic attack from the enemy, designed to steal the best of who you are by reinforcing the worst of what's been said to you, designed to make you question who you are, what were you created to be, designed to provoke those questions in your mind that we've all had so many times of why? Why does nobody love me? Why does nobody treat me the way that they should? Is it really something that wrong with me? Why do I never seem to be enough? Why can't I be more like him or like her? These aren't just little insults. These aren't just little things that don't add up to much. These are planned strategic attacks of the enemy designed to take you down. And when we think of these, I want us to picture this. Pastor Will, I think you've got um, some pretty cool stuff coming out that Skylar is going to bring to you. And so let's say that this right here, that this is your heart. Do you guys all see this? Okay, so this is your heart. Not anatomically, because if that were the case, you would die. That'd be super strange. But let's say that this is your heart right here, and we can try to pretend that people's words don't hurt, that they don't affect us, that they don't take root and stay with us longer and longer and longer. But when reality, they do. Because the enemy uses them against us as the spirit of rejection. And so when someone tells you that you aren't good enough, it's like an arrow goes straight into your heart. And when someone tells you that you will never add up to 
anything in your life, no matter how hard you try, again, it is like another arrow that shoots straight into the core of who you are. When people say that you're too dumb, you're too fat, you're too ugly, you will never add up to as much as your sibling. You are the cause of your parents' divorce. You will never be successful. Over and over and over again, these arrows get shot into our heart and it hurts. All right, they get the picture, you broke the arrow. William, okay, there you go. There you go, okay, give him a round of applause. (laughs) Thank God for his accurate aim, okay? But we can pretend it's not a big deal when in reality, this is the result. This is what is happening to our heart and we cannot function with a heart like this. We cannot go day to day, year to year, living the way that God created us to, doing the things that God created us to be if our heart looks like this. This is the weapon of the spirit of rejection. And this is what each and every one of our hearts have looked like at some point in our lives. Maybe you have a ton of arrows in there. Maybe you have just a few. But if we're honest, we would say that words of, the other, of other people around us have taken root and have changed a little bit of who we are. But what if I were to tell you, then rather than allowing other people's rejection of us to hurt us, to change us, that we can choose instead to fight back. We don't have to let this be our heart. We don't have to let the enemy do this to us any longer. We can fight back because rejection is going to come. People are never going to treat us the way that they should. But when that attack comes, we can choose to not let it define us. We can choose to ignore the lies of the enemy and instead embrace what God says about us. I love this verse. It says in 1 Samuel 16, 7b, The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outside of a person, but the Lord looks at what is in the heart. What did he put in your heart? What desires, what passion, what plan, what purpose did he put inside of you? Because that is what the enemy is trying to come against every single day, and he's going to use it by other people who don't know that heart, who only see what is on the outside of you, but God put something in each and every one of us. And if we know what that is, if we know who we are, we can fight back against the enemy. And if I were honest, I wish that I had known this sooner in my life. Because like so many of us, the attack of rejection entered into my life very, very young age and continues to impact me even to this day. And Pastor Will and I, we're going to tell you a part of our stories tonight so that you can understand that you're not alone in those moments where others made you feel that way, where you felt judged, where you felt misunderstood, uninvited, unwanted. We were right there along with you. We tell you our stories so that you can recognize how rejection operated within our lives so that maybe with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can recognize how it's been operating within your own secretly all of this time. And so throughout my entire life, my biggest struggle has been making friends. Making friends, and then once I make them, keeping those friends. Because it seems like whenever people would get close to me, whenever they would finally get in, those people inevitably would soon move away. 
Now, I don't know if you guys have ever had friends move away before, but it's absolutely devastating. And it seemed like the theme of my entire elementary, middle school, even high school life, as soon as people got close, they would up and leave very soon after. And while I realize now that this wasn't anything to do with me, that this was just an attack of the enemy that was used to make me feel rejected, I began to have these thoughts that would take place in my mind, like, nice job, Madeline. It looks like you scared another one away. Or that one had to move thousands of miles away just to get far enough away from you. And lastly, you should really stop letting people in because they'll just end up leaving you and hurting you yet again. And rather than recognizing these lies, rather than knowing that this was the spirit of rejection operating within my life, I began to believe them. I stopped letting people in. I kept people at arm's length and refused to be vulnerable around them and to trust them. I figured that if I rejected everybody around me first, they wouldn't have the chance to reject me later. I thought it was better to walk away earlier before it even began so they didn't have to suffer the pain of them falling away later. Now, some may call that protecting themselves, but I knew that in my case, it was called letting past hurts hurt me all over again. And I realized now it was irrational. Those friends didn't move away from me, but just for different reasons. But with each absent friend, the devil got his hooks in deeper and deeper, those arrows in closer and closer to my heart to where I began to believe that I didn't deserve close friendships and that I was cursed. And so I wonder tonight, what lies has the enemy sold you? What little things has he whispered into you through other people or even through yourself where you have begun to believe them? What unseen battle is taking place within your heart that you don't even realize is there? Rejection is something that I've struggled with, man, most of my entire life. You know, from an early age, I struggled with body image. And I know that, like, normally that's like a, like a girl sort of thing to say is, like, you struggle with body image, but it's just my story. I struggled with that, and I think for a lot of us, it can look a lot of different ways. For me, it was like I just hated the way I looked all the time. And for some people, that could be, and for me as well growing up, that it, just the clothes that I wore. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. It could just be the, the way you looked, or maybe you even just did your hair wrong one day or something like that. But rejection can start creeping in um, to my, my life at a very, very early age. Now, when I was in elementary school, I was like, you know, like this tall, but I weighed pretty much the same as I do now. I was big, I was a big kid. I was really big. And I mean, in second grade, there was a movie that came out and I, my, when I was in elementary school, I went by the name Willie instead of Will. And there was a movie that came out about a whale and his name was Willie. Free Willie. Came out when I'm in second grade. It was a rough year. That was a rough year for me. And I mean, kids would like, there's a scene in the movie where the kid, the hero, and goes like this, and the whale jumps over him and like saves the day or whatever. I never watched it because it was awful for me. Uh, but kids would, like in the hallway, would do that to me. And it was just awful. It was really, really bad. There's another time in uh, Pee Wee football. And so this is like a little bit later in elementary school. And it's like, you know, the little, little league of football. And they, in front of the whole team, they bring out a scale and they weighed every single player, and they basically said, if you weighed too much, you weren't allowed to play certain positions. And, it, and now I know now is because like, they wouldn't be able to tackle you, and it wouldn't be fair. But what they did in front of the whole team, they made me get on a scale, and then because I weighed too much, they put this orange sticker on my, on my helmet and said, pretty much, you're too fat to run the ball. 
you can't run the ball anymore in front of the whole team. And it was just super traumatic. And it was those moments like that that um, just ruined my confidence and my attitude. Uh, it completely depended on whether I was accepted or rejected by other people. That's how I knew if I was doing good or if I was doing bad. And in middle school, I discovered that if I was bigot, I, I could actually do good at sports. And it was at that point in time, people were like, he's actually bigger. Maybe we should shut up on uh, <laughs> some level. But that because I had rejection operating at an early time in my life, everything still depended on whether or what I thought people may or may not be thinking of me and whether they're rejecting me or not. And from there, that led to like a false identity within me and a fake persona that I felt like I had to carry all the way through college and into my young adult years even. And even though I still went like in um, later high school and in college, I went to youth group and I had a group of people that, like, I, that believed in God around me. I was empty. I still was empty because of my dependence on people accepting me or not. And because I was empty, I was more vulnerable to more rejection. I wasn't being filled with anything, any sort of truth whatsoever. I was only either being filled by somebody, either what I thought would be accepting me or emptied again, even further, by a rejection of some kind. I'd feel rejected because maybe I did a bad job on a test. I'd feel rejected because maybe... I wasn't as fast enough or strong enough. I couldn't lift enough this time. And then it started to morph into a, a time where now I didn't need other people to reject me. I started rejecting me. I like skipped the middleman and I started rejecting myself because of what I thought that they would say anyway. And it's all because rejection from a very early age rooted itself within my life. And then it, it manifested all the way to a spot. It got so bad, so, so far along that now I was beating myself up. I was rejecting me. See, beating myself up for being less than because rejection had that hold on me from that early age. And so maybe up to this point, you've been able to relate to a part of Will's or I's story. You might be able to see where rejection may have taken root within your own life as well. And so there's a few ways where if your heart looks like this, this is how it may impact you. And so the first way is by distrusting others. This is what happened to me. You keep them at arm's length. You don't trust people. You don't let them in because you are at fear of risking getting hurt again. This may be how it's affecting you. Another way is maybe you constantly compare yourselves to others and wish that you could be more like them rather than yourself. This is a form of self-rejection, right? You don't like what you see when you look in the mirror. You don't like who you are when you are out in the world. And so you decide that you would rather be someone else than who you are yourself. You might end up depending far too heavily on your relationships. Maybe this is with a friend or a significant other, and you want them and you need them to make you feel good about yourself entirely. And your moods, the way that you feel, are entirely dependent on the way that person treats you. And maybe this can be in a way where if you get the smallest little look or the smallest little comment and it's just a little bit rude or it hurts your feeling just a little bit, the rest of your day can become absolutely ruined. Or maybe compliments and affirmations can become like a drug to you where you don't feel good about yourself unless someone tells you something to make you feel that way. This is some of the ways that rejection can take root and show up in our lives. Haven't we had enough? Are we done with the spirit of rejection and this attack of the enemy? You have the authority 
right here, right now to break the arrows of rejection, to break this cycle of insecurity and self-doubt and to walk over the enemy in his lies and to finally be able to live a life of freedom from the spirit of rejection. This is your moment. This is what God is giving you the opportunity to do right now, and this is how we can do it. In Mark, there's a story about the apostles. Now, the apostles were, of course, Jesus' 12 best friends, and these men had the authority to cast out demons. They were so cool. They would just go all throughout the land, and they would cast demons out of people, cast the attacks of the enemy out of people. They had that power and that authority, and we need to know that that same power and authority lives within each and every one of us. And so it says in Mark 3, 14 through 15, it talks about the apostle's call, the disciple's call, and how it worked within him. And so it says, then he, meaning Jesus, then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach giving them the authority to cast out demons. Now, what you might realize and recognize in this verse is that there are two different parts to the apostles' call. Yes, they are supposed to go out and teach about Jesus and cast out all of the demons in the land, but there is something that this verse says that they need to do first, and that's to accompany Jesus, to be with Jesus, to spend time with him, to get close to him, to get to know with him, to have an intimate relationship with him. If they do that first, then the authority to cast out demons comes right along with it. And so this is what I want us to do tonight in this room is first to accompany Jesus, to spend a little time alone with him, to get close to him, to talk to him, to say, Jesus, I'm hurting. This is what people have said to me. This is how the enemy is lying to me. And this is how I have believed it. And it's impacted my life. Just talk with him and then give him a second to respond to maybe say, I love you so much, but also you need to know that this is another battle within you. This is another arrow within you that you don't even know is there and you can bring up those different maybe thoughts, those lies within your mind as well. And as they are coming up within you, Pastor Will and I are going to lead you in a prayer of how to get rid of those lies, how to get rid of those arrows within our hearts. But first, that first step is to accompany him. So let's go ahead and spread out within the room. Just kind of take a moment to be by yourself. Get away from everybody else. You can come up in the altar. You can go in the back. You can stay within your chair if you're a little bit farther away from somebody. Go ahead and spread out. Move around, move around, just so you can have this intimate moment with God where he can accompany you, where you can accompany him. You can just be with him in this moment. And so, dear Jesus, we right now just ask for your presence to be so thick within this room and that you will just have these students feel your presence that it can be tangible in the room right now and that you can just give them your sweet, sweet conviction of where the spirit of rejection has taken root within their lives, how it's hurting them, how it's impacting them, what lies are in their hearts, in their minds that have been impacting them for far too long. We ask right now that you'll just speak to them, that you'll show them where those lies are. 
your voice that you want us to hear. We open ourselves up to you, God. We know that there's this battle unseen, and so, Father, we're just asking you to to show us what has the enemy tried to to come against us, God. Maybe it's a specific story in our past that comes to light a memory. Maybe it's a specific person, a bully. Maybe it's a specific time in our lives, like the second grade. Lord, whatever that is, reveal that to us, that we can hold that in our mind, knowing this is where the enemy has tried to attack us. there's someone in this room tonight that believes the lie that their parents' divorce was because of them, that they were the cause of it. You need to know that's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from the pits of hell. And you have the power, the authority to get victory over that. aren't as interested in they really like baseball and you decided you didn't want to like play baseball and you noticed that your parents treated you different once you did that that's a rejection maybe you're only doing what you're doing because you know if you stop doing that you're afraid that your parents will reject you a fear of rejection is the same thing as rejection feeling as though they will not love you the same way 
if you don't do those things, it's the same thing as not doing those things, things and them not loving it the same way. It's the same heart hurt. is bringing these lies, these memories, these people to your mind. He wants us now to do that next part. We've accompanied him. We've spoken to him. We've gotten close to him. And now he wants us to cast out that attack, to get rid of that rejection within our hearts. And this is how we do it. We call upon the name of Jesus because his name is bigger than any rejection. His name is so much stronger than any attack of the enemy. And so when we call upon his name, it's like we get to pull these arrows out of our heart. When we say, Jesus, I cast the bind and cast the spirit of rejection within my heart. I bind and cast up the lie that I am not good enough. I bind and cast up the lie that I am not loved. I bind and cast up the lie that my parents don't love me. I bind and cast up the lie that I will never be successful with each one of those things where we call the name of Jesus upon it. It's like he breaks the arrows of the enemy in our heart. He snaps them and he gets rid of them and no longer do they have power in our lives anymore. And so as we're about to repeat this prayer with me, I want you to think about all of those lies that he brought up into your mind. All of those hurts, all of those pain. Enough. You have the authority. So go ahead and repeat this prayer after me, students. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe that you are powerful. I believe that you are powerful. And I believe. And I believe. That you have given me the authority. That you have given me the authority. To tread over the serpent. To tread over the serpent. To punch the devil. To punch the devil. And kick the Satan. And kick the Satan. And so tonight, Lord. So tonight, Lord, I bind and cast away. I bind and cast away the spirit of rejection. The spirit of rejection within my life. Within my life. No longer. No longer. Can the lies of the enemy. Can the lies of the enemy. Tell me who I am. Tell me who I am. Only you can, Lord. Only you can, Lord. So help me to forgive. So help me to forgive. Help me to forget. Help me to forget. And help me now. And help me now. To have victory. In your name. It's in your precious name that we pray. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, students, now that we have bound and cast away the spirit of rejection, we have found victory. We've learned everything that we are not. I feel like what God wants to tell us right now is everything that we are. So go ahead and make your way back into your seats. Go ahead and get comfortable again. And we're going to do a little bit more talking tonight. I don't think the Lord is done with us yet. I think he wants to give us some things. He's broken the spirit of rejection. He's broken those lies within our lives. And now he wants to fill up those empty places. He wants to come back in and give us those things that we are now that we've learned what we aren't. So how are you guys feeling? A little bit better? A little bit lighter? A little bit less, like, pierced with the arrows, right? You should be feeling a little bit better now. You should be. 
It's that feeling that you're feeling is like the enemy has to leave, remember, at the name of Jesus. That fight is still the same. But remember, we, we are in a battle unseen. And what the devil, devil tried to kill, what he tried to destroy, what he tried to, to attack, we are on the path to taking back. We're on the path to taking all that stuff back. It's like we're raiding the pits of hell. It's like we're, we're going after what he has tried to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're going to take it back from him. Are you ready to take something back tonight? Take it back? That's right. So my question, my question to you is this. If the enemy, through rejection, has tried to steal something, kill something, or destroy something in your life, and he's using rejection to do that, what is the thing that he is trying to steal? What is the thing he's trying to destroy? What is, what is that thing? And I think simply it can be answered with who you are, who you are. Now, that's a tough question sometimes to answer, right? Who are you? And you could simply say your name. But like, you're more than just your name, right? You have a personality. You have likes. You have dislikes. You are, you are a whole lot more than just your name. So sometimes it's, a, it's hard to answer that question. Now, I wonder, have you ever got somebody else's name wrong? They will drill you for that, Right? And I apologize, I might have gotten a few of your names wrong today at High Robes. But what I'm saying is like, so take me and Sean, for instance, especially when I'm wearing my glasses, we get mistaken for each other all the time. And many of you are guilty of this. <laughs> many of you. I've been called Joe by some of you guys. And we are, we are not the same. But honestly, we are very close friends, all three of us. And Sean and I are now to the point where we just, at, we just stop correcting people. We're like, we're pretty much the same person. That's fine. It depends on if we're going to have to have a long conversation, if we're going to correct you or not. But this question of who you are definitely is something that has challenged me a lot of my life. Now, I remember learning the spiritual warfare stuff that we're talking about, knowing that there's an enemy unseen, knowing he's coming against me, knowing that I have authority to fight back. But then there's still this question that loomed within me of, who am I really, though? Like, who are you? And I remember I was doing something that what we're doing right now is you're pursuing God, right? We're asking God. We're, we're worshiping God. We're getting close to him, like Madeline's talking about in that verse, that we're going to get close to him. And then from that place is where we receive all this stuff. And so I remember sitting in a waiting room after I busted my knee doing something stupid. And I was, I, I, my, my knee was just... Um, all wrapped up and everything. I'm sitting in a waiting room, but I'm listening to a podcast. I'm listening to a podcast, and it was a pastor speaking, and that's a good thing to do. You guys know 4640 is on podcasts if you miss one, or you like have a really favorite one. I save the ones I really like. And so I was listening to a pastor, and he started speaking, and God answered this question that was looming in my heart that I didn't even really know about. That was, who are you? And he, he answered it through this verse. And it's a simple verse. It's Jesus, and he taught this uh, one-sentence parable. And a parable is like this kind of a mysterious little illustration that he would use that people would have to like kind of interpret what it meant. And God did that for us through the Holy Spirit. Now, so this is in Matthew 13, 44, and this is what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Now, on the outside looking in, this is pretty simple. It's like the kingdom of heaven is the treasure, and the person is like one of us, me or whatever. And I was like, wow, the kingdom of heaven is awesome. This is great. I want it. 
right? And so I'm like, ah, okay, well, I don't want anybody else to get it. So I cover it up and I go and I get rid of the sin in my life. And, and, I, and I go and I, I get rid of bad relationships and bad choices. And then I'm like, you know, I'm going to make good choices now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the good things so I can get enough, you know, good to, to buy the whole field. And it's mine. And the treasure is mine. Does that make sense? Because, I mean, our, our relationship with Jesus does cost us things. It's true. And we do need to get rid of those things, and we need to be obedient to them. But the pastor I was listening to in this podcast like blew my mind with why that interpretation of it was wrong. And let me show you why. So it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, right? If the kingdom of heaven is the treasure in this, I don't think you can hide the kingdom of heaven. I think it's too big. I don't think you can just be like, let's just cover this up. I feel like Satan would have done that a long time ago if, it was, if you do that. The second thing, the reason why I think it's wrong, uh, the interpretation, is I don't think the kingdom of heaven is for sale. I don't think God's like, for the right price. It's a great location, right? He's probably not going to do that. And if it was for sale, I don't think that I could afford it. I don't think I could afford it. I don't. So let me give you a different interpretation of, of what this looks like. See, right here, I want, the field is the world, and a lot of other illustrations that Jesus uses in other parables, he illustrates the field being the world. Now, the man is Jesus. And a lot of other illustrations, the man is Jesus as well. And Jesus being able to pay for it all. I want you to know that the, the field is the world. The man is Jesus. The treasure is you. You are the treasure. Jesus, that's right. He looked at your heart. He looked at your face from the cross and said, you are worth dying for. You are worth it all. He went to the cross and he gave up his entire life. He died in the place of a murderer, though he was perfect, but death could not hold him down. So he came back and purchased the whole field, all of the world for your heart, for your heart. Do you see how valuable you are? When I heard this truth, I was like, Everything that I've been trying to do to earn the kingdom of God, Jesus said, no, 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 I purchased everything for you already. It's not about you trying to earn what I've already purchased for you. You're already treasured. And it took all this pressure off of me. It, this was so big because from the beginning, rejection told me that I had to earn my acceptance. That's what rejection told me. But God simply told me through this passage that I was chosen already. I was purchased already once I was able to understand this truth that I was treasured and chosen by God, then I was able to get a much better understanding of who I am. That's good. Um, I'm going to get a little bit um, just relatable here maybe with you guys if that's okay. Um, I'm just going to say right now, 100% honesty, I know I'm not the most likable person, okay? I'll be honest. I, I see those people where you just love them. You know, you fall in love with them from the moment that you see them. You're like, oh, I love that person. They make me feel so good about myself. I want to be around them all the time. I don't feel like I'm one of those people, okay? I'm like one of those people where it takes about six months of solid interaction before people decide that I'm not that bad, okay? And that's fine. I know. I, and I've been told that I can be a little bit intense and a little bit intimidating and that I should smile more. I've been diagnosed with chronic RBF, which if you don't know what that is, 
Don't look it up. Um, I've been told I can be a little brash and that sometimes I don't come off very well. No, these are generally not very likable attributes of a person unless they are some sort of CEO or executive, which I am not yet. Okay? Yet. I get it. I know who I am. But for a while, the fact that I wasn't one of those instantly likable people that just had that infectious smile that was just so easy to be around, I began to really dislike who I was. When people would tell me, hey, you should smile more, and hey, you're not very approachable, and you're super intimidating, these words really began to hurt my heart. And I didn't like the fact that I was different. I didn't like the fact that I wasn't easily approachable. I didn't like the fact that I wasn't like those popular girls where it seemed like it was so easy for them. And so with each word that tore me down, that attacked this different part about me, I began to believe them. I began to believe that I was those things that people said about, about me and I wasn't liking who I was. I didn't like that I was intimidating. It made it super hard to get prom dates, okay? I didn't like that it was difficult for me to make friends. And I began to resent who God created me to be. And wish that I could just be freaking normal. Have you ever said that to God? Why can't I just be normal? Why can't I just be likable? Why can't things just seem to come easily to me? And it wasn't until later when I heard Pastor Will teach this exact lesson that I began to understand that when others reject you, it's not because there's something wrong with you. They just can't afford you yet. I want you to think of it like this. How many of you guys have ever gone into a store or maybe put something into your cart on like an internet site that you know you can't afford? That you know is beautiful and that you love and that you want to buy so badly but your bank account will not allow it. For me, it's shoes. I love shoes and I will go and I will try them on over and over and over again, even though I know it's never going to happen. Okay. It's never going to happen. Maybe it's a dress. Maybe it's a pair of basketball shoes. Maybe it's a car. Have you guys tried to test drive a car before that? You know, there's no way the bank is going to approve you for that thing. Right? There's so many times where we want something so, so badly. We covet it. We want it, but we know we can't afford it. And so when that salesperson comes to you and says, all right, are you ready to check out? Are you ready to pay? You want to put this on debit or credit? You say, oh, I'm sorry. I can't do it today. You make up some kind of excuse, right? You kind of reject them and brush them off, but you're not rejecting the salesperson because of who they are. You're rejecting them because you just can't afford it yet. What if I were to tell you that you were that special thing? That you were that thing that you would want that the beautiful shoes, the beautiful dress, the basketball shorts, or whatever it is, or the car, whatever it is, and that when others don't buy you, when they reject you, it's because they can't afford you. It has nothing to do with who you are. It has nothing to do with what's inside of you, that you're unlikable, that you're not good enough. It's because they just can't afford you yet. And what if we looked at the rejections in our life in this way? What if we decided that we are not going to water ourselves down any longer because people can't handle us at 100 proof? What if we decided to say, that's okay. That's okay that they can't handle me. That's okay that they're rejecting me. They just can't afford me yet. I wish that I had realized this sooner. 
I wish that I was created for a purpose just as each and every one of you were. I was created for such a time as this. God created me to not be bossy, but to be a leader. Not to be intimidating, but confident, not brash, but honest. And when people get that mixed up, that's on them. And yeah, I could probably smile more. I'll, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. And I probably will never win the contest for best, person, best first impression, but I will lead kids to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I will lead kids to Jesus. Yes. And I will stick up for those who cannot stick up for themselves. And I will say the things that no one else is willing to say. And I will live every single day of my life kicking the butt of the enemy because that's who God created me to be. It's who he created me to be, even if it makes people uncomfortable at times, even if people don't know how to handle it, we are done watering ourselves down. We are done making ourselves lesser and smaller and less of who we are to make other people feel comfortable around us. We gotta stop listening to the lies of the enemy, guys. We gotta stop letting him do that. We gotta stop listening to the people who can't afford us, who don't deserve us to tell us who we are. Instead, we should go to the person who paid it all for us. Not the people who can't afford us, but the man who paid everything for you and for me. It stops here. It stops now, tonight, we're done. We're done. We're going to find out who we are tonight, how God sees us, not the rest of the world. And I think he has so much still to show each and every one of us tonight about who we are. So we know we don't listen to rejection to tell us who we are. We won't. We're not going to do it. We're done doing that. And we're not going to listen to other people to tell us who we are or other people's Insta feeds or other people's Snapchats. We're not going to listen to that stuff to tell us who we are. So how do we go to find out the answer to that question? I want you to think of it like this. This is a tool that we found in the church shop before we left. And I'm not sure what it does, okay? It's like an industrial ice cream scoop. It's like, if you need some backup, it's frozen, right? Um, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure what this tool does. But if you think of it like this, like, what if I'm a tool? Well, no. Like, what if... No, no. Y'all can't afford me. That's all that is, right? All right, but say, say what, what if it's like this. How would I know what this tool is? Like, where would I go to find that out? And, and many of you in here might know what this tool is actually called. And many of you might have different names for what it's called as well. But how would I know without, like, beyond a shadow of a doubt what this tool is called? I would go to the person that created it. They would have the name it was created, like to have, and they would have the exact purpose. They would know it all. The creator of this would know everything about it, would tell me every detail, why it's shaped the way it is, why there's a certain angle here, like the whole, the whole nine about it. And you and I are the same exact way. The only way that we can get to know the answer to the question of, of who we are is to go to the creator, to the creator. It's the only way. God has that answer. We're not going to listen 
to the liars in our, in, our, in our lives. We're not gonna listen to the thieves, to the snakes, to the trash to tell us who we are. We won't. We won't do it any longer, all right? We are gonna listen to our creator, our savior, our redeemer. He's the only one that can tell us who we are. He's the only one that can tell you who you are. Not the people that can't afford you, but the God who paid it all for you. So I want you to listen to these words. I wrote these down and I'm gonna read them and I, I want you to, to, to ask the Holy Spirit as, I, as I'm reading this, to bring to life words for your heart, words for your heart. So just, just listen to this because you are more than you think you are. You have ability, you have potential, you have gifts. You have talents to share with the world. You have talents that will change the world. You have joy to spread. You have jokes to tell. You have kind words to give. You have wisdom to bestow. You have joy. And that joy will change people. You are full of more amazing qualities, traits, and virtues than you could ever imagine given to you by the Lord who loves you. It doesn't matter who you are. That's truth. Whether you're the big guy at school or the small one in the back of the class. Whether you like throwing baseballs or you like throwing out jokes. Whether you're the slowest or whether you're the fastest. Whether you're the tallest or whether you're the shortest. Whether you're the skinniest or you could lose a few pounds. Whether you're captain of the team or the last one picked. Whether you're the champion of champions or the loser of losers. So you are worth more than numbers on a scale. You're worth more than the hair product in your hair. You're worth more than the shoes on your feet. You're worth more than how many girls that wish they were you or how many girls that you want to be like. You're worth more than the price tag on your clothes. You're worth more than the percentage on the top of your tests. So your worth surpasses all earthly things because in the eyes of the Lord God, you are loved and you are worth dying for. See, regardless of who you may think you are, the reality is that you have a responsibility and a power inside of you, a power that was formed before the beginning of time in a secret place by the God of the universe. There is a man and a woman inside each and every one of you, and that man and that woman needs to burst forth and that they will change the world. There's a person inside of you that loves, that encourages, that comforts, that shares, that teaches, that laughs. There's a person inside of you that cries, that encourages. And that person that builds up those around them, that person is where your strength lies. That person is where your potential lies. And that person is where your gifts, your talent, your courage, your ability, and your joys lies. And your responsibility as a son or a daughter of God is to find that man and to find that woman inside of you and set that person free. And when they are set free, you will bring change to this broken world. 
And if there are any voices in your head that are telling you differently, well, they're from the enemy. And the next time you hear them, this is what you say. Nuh-uh, not me, Satan. I am the son of the living God. I am a daughter of the creator of the universe. I am treasured, entrusted, loved above all things by the creator of all things for the glory of him who is greater than all things. And I am awesome. forget it. I believe God has a specific word for each and every one of your hearts tonight. That right now, he wants to speak something. The creator who put you on this planet for a specific mission and a specific purpose wants to put gold inside of you. Indeed, he already has put gold inside of you and he wants you to see that gold tonight. So what we're going to do right now, you guys should have a card on your, on your chair or with you. If you don't, we will have leaders around. You'll find it. I want you to find that card. On the front of it, you can see a simple prayer to cast rejection out of your life. But I want you to look at the back of it. On the back of it, it simply says, I am. And it's blank. But we're not blanks. You were created specific. You were created by God. So tonight, I want you to fill in what you feel like God is saying to you. And so what I want you to do, just like we did before, I want you to get close to God. So I want you to spread out and find a spot that's just with you and Him. Not a place where you'll be distracted because the enemy's going to try and distract you during this time. Find a spot that is just you and God. Get there and get ready. Make sure you have a pen with you. some of you might already have some I am statements. You might, you may know a little bit of who you are already, but I want to challenge you to dig deep because we do serve a God who is limitless, right? We do serve a God that is unending, that his love is wide, deep, long, and tall. So he will give you something new when you tuck close to him. And so as you're digging into God right now, and as you're asking him, God, who am I? You're going to hear voices from around this room. And these are things that we felt led that there's, going to, there's people here that are going to be part. There's, there's people here that are going to be, have certain things that they're going to write down. And it's okay if you write more than one down. But as we start saying these things out, the Holy Spirit will start highlighting who you are. And as soon as you feel that spirit leap within you, I want you, I want you to, to write that down. You are beautiful.
refuges. You are capable. You are kind. You are unique. You are chosen. You are smart. You are loved. You are an artist. You are his treasure. You are a technician. You are worthy of everything God has for you. You are treasured. You are an inventor. You are not forgotten. You are a warrior. You are unique. tuck in and hear from the Lord. And you might have a leader come by and, and pray for you or say something specific to you. But this is a time for you and God. So we're going to sing a song right now. And during that time, just keep, keep your heart and all of your senses open to him. And we're not asking you to, to sing with us. We're asking you to listen to God. And if you're at a time where all you feel like you can do right now is worship him, then sing. against me. And I think one of the lies of the enemy is coming against us saying that God's against you, that he doesn't care about you, that he doesn't see you. And we need to know that he is not against us. He is for us. You are not victims. You are victorious. And so right now, in Jesus' name, I bind up the victim spirit in this room. I bind it up and I cast it away in the name of Jesus. We are children of God. We are victorious. We have the authority to tread over the heads of the serpent. So, so we pray against that enemy right now. And we just ask that in every 
single student's hearts and every single student's minds that they can begin to wave the flag of victory rather than the flag of victim, that that spirit can no longer come against them and that they can know that in every single circumstance that they have a God that is fighting for them, that is for them. In Jesus' name. I feel like there might be someone in here that's feeling the weight of expectations of good influences in your life and maybe it's a, a parent or a sibling or someone close to you that has you feel like has all these expectations of who you're supposed to be or or these expectations of what you're supposed to do maybe it's family business or or take up the reins of um, an older sibling in certain sports or something like that and that does that does not dictate who you are that is a lie and if you're feeling pressure, it's not from God. God doesn't deal through pressure. He's not going to push you or pressure you into something. His burden, the scripture says, the Bible says, is light. And he wants you to know, like, who you are is whose you are. That's who you are. Who you are is whose you are. You are God's. You are God's. And so in the name of Jesus, if, that's, if those expectations are trying to dictate who we're supposed to be in the future, we bind and we cast that pressure off in the name of Jesus Christ. And God, I just pray that right now over this room, you lose the truth that will set us free for not just tonight and not just this week, but for our lifetimes here, God, for eternity. Let freedom reign in our hearts, knowing, God, that you say who we are and no one else. God, that you say, you say that, God. And so, Father, I pray right now, God, over every single heart, over every single soul that's in this place, Lord, that, that we can feel and know, God, that you, you tell us that we are treasured, that we are chosen, we are in a new place, God, knowing, God, that, that you have already purchased us, and God, that rejection does not have influence in our life any longer. And so, Father, because of that, we celebrate, Jesus, what you've done tonight and what you've done in our future. We celebrate, God, knowing that, that we are yours. And so I, I pray right now, God, that you can unleash in a joy in us, knowing that we don't have to hide, we don't have to, to hold back any longer who we are, God, that you've accepted us fully. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening at 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.